This is Geeks and Jacks. Welcome back to Geeks and Jacks, episode 134, recording December 22nd, 2022. This is Ryan Sullivan, glad to have you here. Before getting into this episode, this podcast is on anchor.fm. You can also find us on Spotify, Radio Public, and Google Podcasts. So head on down to those places, search for Geeks and Jacks. Plenty of content awaits. So, don't really have much to talk about. It'll be just, you know, the routine of talking NFL scores, talk about Avatar and the, and the box office, uh, talk about uh, what's going on with Microsoft, because there's some stuff going on with the uh, FTC, and one or two other things in regards to the uh, uh, the deal that they made earlier this year for Activision Blizzard. So let's jump into it, I guess. Beginning with Avatar: The Way of Water. So this is the big movie, probably the big film of this winter, in, heading into 2023, uh, and obviously huge hype. Big James Cameron uh, movie. And making certain things in between doing two, three, and four. There was like an interview I read on Variety about filming the sequel simultaneously because he doesn't want something similar to uh, Stranger Things, where these guys are act, they're supposed to be kids, are in their 20s. Which, understandable, I mean, suspending disbelief. And, but, Avatar The Way of Water made over $130 million over the weekend after a, I think it was 17 or $18 million at the uh, Thursday showing. And, yeah, I mean, this is going to be the big hit for... Uh, for Disney in 20th Century Studios. Where it stands right now is I'm not sure if they updated from yesterday, but 168 million domestically, 387 million internationally. The exact numbers, $555,946,208. So far that is really good. I'm actually pretty curious about the reviews just for a brief moment just to see if it's well received or not. Just 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 to see. <laughs> uh, where is it? Just looking for the reviews. But basically it'll be interesting to see how things fare. Uh, around this weekend and obviously New Year's, just because there really there aren't any new movies coming out after this weekend. Because you know New Year's weekend, everybody's going to be doing a million other things. I think it's doing big with yeah, big with IMAX. Thirty-one percent of its business from IMAX and other premium large formats. It's interesting because. The original movie, it was like one of those movies where they were using the 3D phenomenon at the time. So, I'm just trying to find the reviews. Where the hell is it? I'm just trying to find it. Where is it? This is this is courtesy of Box Office Mojo, by the way. Uh, just give me a second to look it up. Um, come on. So far, as far as reception goes, well received. 78% Rotten Tomatoes, 68% Metacritic. This is all on a budget of $250 million, and probably who knows how much into marketing. Probably spent over $100 million if I had to... Uh, 
if I had to assume. This film was expected to make anywhere between 150 to 175 million, and they dropped it a little bit to 120 to 150. You know, with the advent of streaming and other things, not to mention people spending their money during the holiday season, uh, it's going to be a question mark on whether or not uh, the film will be able to sustain itself over the course of the next week or two. I mean, it's still going to do well, but how many people will actually go out of their way? I mean, cold weather might play a factor, snow, you know, in some parts of, you know, the Midwest, Northeast. Uh, Number two, Black Panther, Wakanda, Forever, made a little over 500 mil, not 500, uh, 5.3 million Currently standing at 420 mil, almost 421 domestic, 368 internationally, nearing 800 million. So still, still in the theater. 50% drop, which is not too bad. I mean, going from 10 million to 5, 5 mil. Number three, Violent Night. About 5 million here, and so it's still... Doing decent a few weeks into its run. Uh, 36 mil uh, domestically, a little over 20 mil. So nearing 60 million. Should probably reach 70 million at the end of its run when it's all said and done. Strange World at number 4, making 2.2 million. I mean, surprisingly, it's still in the top 5, though it doesn't negate the fact that it's a failure. 61 million worldwide, 34.7 in the United States, internationally 26.8. Yeah. Number five, The Menu, that small indie film, making 1.6 mil. And right around evenly at 32 million, 32.7 domestic 32.5 internationally so it's still something people want to see see what the drop is for this movie so far it's anywhere from like 50 to 40 percent drops out of these top movies in the top five just dropped a lot of theaters though and speaking of dropping 1200 theaters dropped uh, over the weekend when uh, with devotion uh, the rest of these are six uh, figures. 780000 for Devotion. More than likely, it's probably going to hover around 20 to $22 million. And I believe this is Sony. Let me up Columbia. This has been out for almost a month. And can't imagine anyone else really... Want it. Can't, can't imagine anyone really wanting to go see it now. The Fablemans at number seven, Spielberg's movie, uh, $743,000, and it did have a small drop in theaters, dropped about 18 theaters, <laughs> uh, standing at $9 million, so that says something, I guess. Number eight. 75th anniversary of It's a Wonderful Life. I thought this movie came out in 46. If you're going to do a 75th anniversary, I don't know why Disney doesn't do uh, Miracle on 34th Street. I mean, mean, those two movies are like synonymous with being considered some of the greatest Christmas movies ever. I mean, especially with uh, 34th Street. It took a while for people to love um, Wonderful Life. Well, or at least to know about it. Because that movie was not a hit. It was a pretty lengthy movie. How long was this movie? Just over two hours. I mean, that's... For 1946, that, that was a lot. That was a lot of time. Especially if there was stuff such as, you know, shorts, like say there was a Looney Tunes cartoon or Three Stooges, for example. 
mean, that was your way of viewing stuff back in the 40s up through, what, maybe the 60s? Oh, they consider it a PG movie. Yeah, it probably is, considering some of the themes. Black Adam, number 9, 445,000. So, yeah, I wonder how many theaters this is in. Uh, 391 million worldwide. How many theaters did it drop? Dropped about a third of its theaters, so down to 1,300. And number 10, I Heard the Bells, 310,000, making just over 5, five million altogether. It's one of those movies that hasn't really... How big is the theater? Not many theaters. This was just a small release no matter what. I consider 1,000 to still be pretty small. Just, it, it's just hard to fathom. You know, dropping, but then again, it kind of looks like a almost like just the way it sounds. Like I don't know, maybe it sounds kind of religious. I don't know, but it sounds like uh, Avatar is gonna have a. It'll be interesting to see how it fares over the next two weekends. You know, just seeing. This one's going to be pretty interesting. Uh, just seeing the release date changes. Twisters coming out in July of 2024. So this is going to be a sequel to the original from 96. Not sure how well that will do. But maybe it, maybe there's something like the special effects that will make, make it seem more devastating. Especially when you think about how much worse these tornadoes have gotten in the last 15 to 20 years and especially the destruction I want to see something you know about like a hurricane you know see that and see how they do the effects there was something I uh, read recently about this Oppenheimer movie uh, from Christopher Nolan using practical effects for a nuclear explosion Instead of relying on CGI. I'm guessing Nolan wants to make that feel uh, very real. It's actually a decent group of people in that movie. When does that come out? Is that coming out in theaters? Because that was like the big deal I saw a little while ago. With Oppenheimer. So this comes out in theaters in July. It's actually got a decent uh, cast: Killian Murphy, Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, Robert Downey Jr., Florence Pugh, Murphy playing Oppenheimer. So works with a team of scientists. Oh, this is with the Manhattan Project, leading to the development of the atomic bomb. July twenty-first, they'll come out. Hundred million dollars. That's surprising. But probably some of the practical effects that he's doing is what's going to make it. The reason why you have a hundred million. Just it'll be interesting. It it might be interesting. I don't know what else really to say. Uh, so let's see what's coming out because I yesterday the uh, Puss in Boots sequel just came out. That should be some good counter-programming. Actually, I wonder about its budget. Because I'm, I'm extremely curious. Puss in Boots. Puss in Boots. The Last Wish budget. There hasn't been a movie somewhere... There hasn't been a movie in the Shrek franchise or really around this particular franchise in just over a decade because the first Puss in Boots came out in 2011. I think that movie did okay. 130 million, that's that's actually that's not bad. 
that's actually not bad. I probably was expecting maybe 150 million, but DreamWorks has done pretty decent with making sure they don't go completely overboard on its budgets, from the sound of it. Uh, but not really a lot of movies coming out uh, nationwide. Uh, there's that Babylon movie. Depending on its budget, it could go either way. It's got a decent cast, too, when you think about it. Including uh, Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie. It's a pretty long movie, though, too. A little over three hours. And the other one is Whitney Houston, I Want to Dance with Somebody. I don't know if this is... Is this supposed to be like a documentary? Biography, drama... Uh, I mean, I'm sure they'll you'll see like the big positives of, you know, the singing and all that, but are people going to bite on this? I'm not sure people will, and I'm not sure this will be a hit. But... You know, she is from the late 80s, early 90s. It maybe will connect to a lot of people the same way people from the 60s and 70s connected to Elvis when that came out in the summer. And there's a bunch of limited releases, well, a handful at least. Circus, C-I-R-K-U-S. <laughs> two brothers, well, two... Two sets of identical twins accidentally separated, coincidentally in the same town. Confusion when people mistake. Uh, is this supposed to be a comedy? Comedy drama. That might not actually be too bad of a movie. That actually seems interesting. Uh, Living. A movie set in the 50s of a civil servant deciding to take time off work. Receiving a, uh, this is one of those movies that's probably going to be the guy has cancer or something and I wouldn't be surprised at the ending. He passes away. Food for thought. Uh, Rattled. Dark crime comedy about a group of ragtag Vegas criminals kidnapping the wrong person. They can't stop making mistakes. Oh my god. Who is in this movie? (laughs) Uh, Rattled. Well, it's a pretty short movie, too. An hour 20. Uh, no one that I really know about. thought maybe, like... I thought that some of the people in the poster looked like people that were in it. Were in other projects, but no. I'm not sure this will do well, though. Uh, Women Talking. That's the name of the movie. Is this a biography film? Okay, this is a drama. It's going to come out um, nationwide uh, in a couple weeks. Women of an isolated religious community grapple with reconciling a brutal reality with their faith. Dang. Corsage. That's the last of the uh, limited releases for this weekend. Is that supposed to be... Is that a middle finger? Oh my god. Is this supposed to be funny? Biography, drama, history. Empress Elizabeth of Austria. Christmas Eve, 1877. Turns 40, officially deemed. Starts trying to maintain her public image. Hmm. Well, the way the poster looks, I'm not sure if people are going to be laughing at this, or if they're going to expect this to be funny, or expect this to be a 180 and be something serious. And really, there's nothing coming out New Year's weekend. couple limited releases. Turn Every Page, The Adventures of Robert Caro and Robert Gottlieb. Pulitzer Prize winning author and his editor. 50-year professional. So this is like a biopic? Documentary, it says. 
And the last one, this is a movie that I might think about seeing in a couple weeks. Because it does come out on January 13th. A Man Called Otto. Comedy drama with uh, Tom Hanks as the title character. Just a bitter old man and his life changing for you know for the better when he meets a young family. <coughs> yeah, I'd imagine the next couple of weeks, Avatar is going to be number one. I think Puss in Boots should be some good counter-programming, especially for an industry starving for a kid's movie. Probably be the last movie with the Puss in Boots slash Shrek stuff. Unless they find some way to do like a Shrek 5 or something. But I can't imagine that happening. Not with how the last two Shreks have been critically. Moving into sports, let's look at some NFL scores. Because... It was interesting. And I think we're going to see the playoffs shape up even more as we head into Week 16. So beginning with the Thursday night game, Brock Purdy, man, Niners, NFC West champs, beating the Seattle Seahawks 21-13. He threw for a couple scores. Christian McCaffrey had himself a good game himself. George Kittle did really well. Geno Smith had kind of a eh, game, 238 in the score. No picks, which is a good thing. Run game was kind of quiet with Kenneth Walker, Metcalf, and Lockett. Good amount of catches, just not enough to capitalize. No offense with the touchdown for uh, Seattle. Kittle had the two touchdowns for uh, San Francisco. One turnover being from the Seahawks. And so, yeah. 10-4 uh, Niners, 7-7 seven and seven Seahawks. Now, this next game, let's talk about it. The biggest comeback in the history of the NFL was 32 points. And that is in a couple of weeks, or less than two weeks from now. January 3rd, I believe, 1993, where the Buffalo Bills came back from 35-3 to to force overtime against the Houston Oilers and win in overtime. Hold my beer, because the Indianapolis Colts asked the Oilers for their beer, or at least to tell them to hold it, because the Colts had a 33 to nothing lead at halftime. Okay. Against the Minnesota Vikings. This is supposed to be one of those feared teams in the NFL. Somewhat. 33 nothing. They chip at the lead. And come back to win. 39-36 to uh, 36 in overtime. Colts lost Jonathan Taylor very early in the game. So I think that impacted them a lot more than you think. Zach Moss had a decent game. Matt Ryan, 182 and a score. Just, the, the, the defense did its job. Pick six, block punt. On special teams, this team should have been that good. What the hell happened? They sacked Kirk Cousins many times. They, they sacked him many times. Kirk Cousins, outside of two picks, 460 and four scores. Dalvin Cook. Ran it decently. K.J. Osborne, Justin Jefferson, Cook, Adam Thielen with touchdowns. Hawkinson had a two-point conversion on one of the plays. Vikings 11-3. They clinched the NFC North. Colts 4-9-1. Yeah. Crazy. Uh... Just a joke of a year for the Colts. Cleveland six and eight now, beating the Baltimore Ravens thirteen to three. Ravens nine and five. Just run the ball decent. 
Tyler Huntley couldn't do anything with with throwing the ball. 138 and a pick. Deshaun Watson, quiet game, 161, but he did throw a score. Nick Chubb, 99 yards. Not really anything to get too excited over. And Cleveland defense stepping up when it needed to. Uh, could be a glimpse of what to see in the future, kind of. Buffalo, 11-3 now. 32-29 victory over Miami, who drops to 8-6. Buffalo clinches the AFC East. Tua Tagovailoa, not the greatest of games, but 234 and two scores. Raheem Mostert ran the ball pretty well early on. Don't know why they couldn't keep feeding him the ball. Jalen Waddell had a really good game. Tyreek Hill, first Dolphin to have 1,500 yards in a season, which honestly surprised me. I would have figured maybe Mark Clayton would have had 1,500 yards in one of those seasons just because of how uh, Dan Marino was uh, early on in his career, especially when you think about that 84 season where he threw for 5,040-plus touchdowns. But Buffalo got past some mistakes. Josh Allen ran for three, well, threw for three hundred four and four scores. Ran for seventy seven. That run game not exactly the greatest. Singletary leading the way with the running backs for for forty two yards. James Cook with some some yards too. Touchdowns to Hines, Cook, Knox, and Morris. So some of the some of the nobodies and low scoring type guys. They did bring back Cole Beasley, which is surprising. He came out of retirement to come back. And defensively, I mean, both teams playing pretty well. Just one turnover by uh, Buffalo. So to the Sunday games. Chicago loses as Philadelphia barely edges them 25 to 20. Eagles 13 and 1. Bears 3 and 11. Jalen Hurts not exactly a great game throwing wise, 315 but two picks, but he did run for three scores. The run game kind of mediocre beyond just the Hurts touchdowns. And really outside of AJ Brown and DeVonte Smith, which accounted for about 90% of Hertz's passing yards, no one else really did anything, which is pretty disappointing, especially when you see one for negative 13, Miles Sanders. Yeah. Uh, Justin Fields, 152, two scores. He ran for 95, became the third quarterback to run for over 1,000 yards in a season. Fourth time ever by a QB. First time, Michael Vick. Second time, uh, and third time, Lamar Jackson for two straight years. Is this a glimpse of the future, or is it just wishful thinking? Philadelphia, I mean, got to fields quite a bit, but just looked pretty sloppy with them giving up a fumble and throwing two picks. I'm not sure there's really a number one seed. I mean, right now, Philadelphia probably could be the number one team to beat. But I don't think anyone really looks good enough to be number one. <coughs> Honestly, I feel like the number one seed is not going to do all that well in the playoffs. Keep your eye on the Detroit Lions. Even if they don't make the playoffs, their turnaround has been pretty impressive. Now they're 7-7. Seven and seven beating the Jets, who are 7-7 seven seven as well. Jared Goff, quiet game, 252 and one score. Run game not really being up to snuff compared to previous weeks, but big play on fourth down to this right guy for 51 yards and the score. Uh, Jets, Zach Wilson did okay, 317, two scores, but a pick. Run game was hugely disappointing. And defensively, I mean, both teams... I mean, Detroit played a 
played a bit better sacking uh, Wilson. Not enough pressure by the Jet defense. Pittsburgh. 24-16 win. They improved to 6-8 and eight for the year. While Carolina is 5-9. and nine. The run game did the damage running-wise. Mitch Trubisky, 179. No score, no picks, but he did run for a score. Najee Harris had himself a good game. Deontay Johnson, 10 catches for 98 yards. Not one. No one really else had more than a catch or two. Excuse me. You got Sam Darnold, who not the most accurate, but 225 and a score. Bad run game altogether. This team, woo wee. Carolina couldn't do anything. The Pittsburgh defense did its job. Uh, on one of the Saturn notes, uh, just for a brief moment, uh, a couple days ago, uh, Franco Harris passed away, and this upcoming game is Raiders and Steelers. Fifty years ago, December twenty third, nineteen seventy two, the play known as the Immaculate Reception, as Harris scored a touchdown to eliminate the Raiders from the playoffs. Some of those huge disappointments for John Madden and company while Pittsburgh would go on its way to win the Super Bowl that year. Man. Chiefs escape with a overtime victory over Houston. Chiefs now 11-3 and for the year. Texans won 12-1. Pat Mahomes, very accurate. 336 and two scores. Uh, Pacheco ran for 86 yards. McKinnon with the game winner. He had 50 yards and a score. And he actually had 8 for 70 and a score. Some big catches from Travis Kelsey and Juju Smith-Schuster. Other touchdown outside of McKinnon was to Marquise Valdez-Scantling. Man, I remember when, I think it was like McKinnon went to San Francisco and kept getting hurt. Finally showing what he could have done if he stays healthy. And the Texans, no one really looked all that good passing. And the run game wasn't anywhere close to being strong. Despite having touchdowns in each quarter except the fourth. And, I mean, Houston defense, I mean... Had more takeaways. Two fumbles. The Chiefs lost, although the Texans did lose a fumble themselves. I don't know if it's just, you know, young draftees that they can do to make themselves look better. I don't know, but, man, it's kind of sad to see. And the Texans have been in close games at points throughout the season. I mean, makes a difference, I think, kind of between being 112-1 and and maybe... Four nine and one or five eight and one. Saints five and nine. Atlanta five and nine. Saints twenty one to eighteen victory. Uh, Desmond Ritter ninety seven yards passing, completed fifty percent of his passes. Algier with a touchdown on one hundred thirty nine rushing. Patterson fifty two and a score. Yeah, nothing looked all that great. And honestly, could be looked at as kind of a forgetful year for the Falcons. Andy Dalton, 151, two scores. Taysom Hill threw a couple of passes, one of which was a score. Alvin Kamara had a pretty good game running, though no touchdowns. This Shahid guy had a touchdown. And this, what's the guy, Johnson? Juwan Johnson, two scores. As it stands, we'll get to the Tampa Bay game in a minute, but all three of them are a game behind Tampa. Just to put that into perspective. So yeah, talk about Jacksonville. They were down 17 points and came back to win 40-34. to 
against Dallas. Jacksonville six and eight now for the year as Dallas drops to ten and four. So that makes this game a must win uh, this upcoming Christmas Eve between Dallas and Philadelphia. If there's even a glimmer of hope of trying to get within reach of the division, but I don't think it's possible. I think Philly stays with the number one seed and has home field advantage throughout the playoffs. And actually, that ended on a pick six. The costly mistake. Tony Pollard had a good game. You know, 75 yards. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott had a touchdown. I believe this is like the third or fourth straight week that he's scored. Uh, C.D. Lamb had a really good game. And this Brown guy had two touchdowns. They did sign T.Y. Hilton, which I'm not sure how big it'll impact them, but could be enough to make a decent run if he stays healthy. Trevor Lawrence, 318, four scores. He did throw a pick, though, but... Came back in. This team is rolling. Travis Etienne ran the ball pretty well. Jamal Agnew, three rushes for 52 yards. Zay Jones, three scores. Actually, another Jones, Marvin Jones, caught a touchdown too. I mean, defensively, I mean, coming in in clutch. Although both teams had some good takeaways. Talk more about the Tennessee game in a, in a in a bit. Denver defense twenty four to fifteen victory over Arizona. Both teams now four and ten for the year. Colt McCoy got knocked out with concussion. Seventy eight in a pick. Trace McSorley came in ninety five yards, two picks. <coughs> Holy moly! Trace McSorley, this guy is mediocre. Very mediocre. James Conner had another touchdown on 63 yards rushing. Nobody really looked all that good for Arizona. Brett Rippon, 197, a score and a pick. Latavius Murray had a really good game, 130 in a score. Marlon Mack, 37 in a score. I mean, the run game held its own, and obviously the defense was amazing. A few sacks, although Denver gave up a lot more sacks to the Arizona defense. Actually, two turnovers by Denver themselves. But they kept going. Big win for an otherwise mediocre season. Now, Raiders and Patriots. 30-24 to was the final. 6-8 and Raiders. 7-7 and Patriots. Mac Jones... Really bad game. Ramondre Stevenson ran for 172 in a score. Probably one of his best games yet for his career. Raiders, 231, three scores and a pick for Derek Carr. Josh Jacobs ran for 93 yards. Keelan Cole, Darren Waller with touchdowns. Waller coming back from injury. Hollins with a touchdown. Devontae Adams, kind of a quiet one, but we got to discuss the final play. Some say the worst play ever was a Patriot play where they were able to sniff out a fake punt or like a fourth down, I forget what it was, against the Indianapolis Colts in 2015. In 2018, they gave up a few laterals on a big win that the Miami Dolphins had in 2018. Not even Rob Gronkowski could stop Kenyon Drake in 2018. Now this lateral... He had about, I think it was like seven seconds to go in the game. They give the ball to Ramondre Stevenson, the Patriots. He tries to, he laterals it to Jacoby Myers. And Myers throws it to a Jones, but not the right Jones. Chandler Jones, the former Pat, the former Cardinal. Stiff arms Mac Jones. Touchdown. Just go to overtime. I think this loss is going to hurt the Patriots a lot more than they realize. Because as it stands, uh, 
you got three teams. You got three teams that are in the running for the wild card spot, and they just got pushed back into the bubble. Uh, just just go to overtime. Sure, the coin toss is a gamble, but you get a chance. You get a huge chance to score and end the game. I think the way the Raiders have been playing this year, this could be a blueprint, you know, with this second half of the season, that if this is where this team could have been first half of the season, they could easily be in the wild card spot, like two or three wins above, you know, San Diego, well, L.A. Chargers, which I'll talk about that game. AFC just gets more and more interesting. Chargers beat the Titans 17 to 14. Chargers go to 8 and 6 for the year. Titans drop to 7 and 7, which makes the Jaguars a game behind them. Ryan Tannehill not exactly a good game, 165 and a pick. Malik Willis did come in a little bit, 20 yards. Derrick Henry ran for 100 in a score, and he led in uh, receiving 4 for 59. So that tells you just how bad the receiving situation is for for Tennessee. I thought this would be at least a team that could get a game or two in for the playoffs, but I'm not sure anymore. Justin Herbert, 313, but two picks. Austin Eckler led the way in rushing, 58 in the score. Uh, Keenan Allen led in receiving. Mike Williams with some big receiving yards, too. Josh Kelly with uh, another rushing touchdown for the team. The way Doug Peterson is coaching Jacksonville, it's similar to what happened in Philadelphia in 2016. Started bad, got better. I think the blueprint is there for 2023, and I think the Jaguars will scare a lot of people. And I think Week 18 will end with Jaguars and Titans for whoever gets the AFC South. I think that's what it'll come down to. And first place, Bengals. Down 17 points, come back to win 34-23 against Tampa Bay, who dropped to 6-8 and eight now for the year. Joe Burrow. 200 yards, but he threw for four scores. Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, Michael Wilcox, and uh, T. Higgins all had touchdowns. I believe it's Michael Wilcox. Yep, Mitchell Wilcox. Just sounds so similar, you know. And that forgives the bad run game, 24 out of Samaji Payrine and 21 out of Joe Mixon. Tom Brady. 312, three scores, but two picks. The run game still bad. 44 out of Leonard Fournette and Rashad White, 38. I mean, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans catching the ball pretty well. Russell Gage with uh, two touchdowns. Godwin with the third score as well. Team is just not up to snuff. Really, I mean, four turnovers by Tampa Bay. Two fumbles, two interceptions. Could be the result of a bad offensive line and the Bengal defense just being so good right now. Sunday night, big NFC East game. Giants Commanders. 20-12 20-12 New York, a couple weeks after a 20-20 tie. Daniel Jones, quiet game, 160. No touchdowns, but no picks. Saquon Barkley with one of the touchdowns. Defensive touchdown early in the game as well for, for the Giants, Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, Taylor Heineke, 249 in the score. Brian Robinson, really good game, 89 yards rushing. Should be given more than 12 carries, though. John Dotson and Terry McLaurin with big games as well. But the turnovers speak, speak dividends. Two fumbles by Heineke, one of which was the touchdown one for Thibodeau. And Jones didn't get sacked. 
So eight five and one Giants, seven six one Commanders. Both of them are still in the NFC playoff spots, and this week's going to be big for both of them, as well as Detroit and uh, who's the other Seattle. I honestly think you're going to see both Washington and New York make it. I'm not sure Detroit has enough to keep their magic going, but you know, I, I think I think all four of these teams are going to be good heading into next year. I think they'll surprise many. And then the Monday night game, LA Rams losing to Green Bay, 24 to 12. 6 and 8 Packers. They still have a chance somewhat, but it'll be very tough. Rams 4 and 10 for the year. Baker Mayfield, mediocre game, 111, one score, one pick. Cam Akers leading with 65 yards rushing and leading and receiving 3 for 35. Aaron Rodgers, not exactly a great game either. One touchdown and a pick on 229, but good running by Aaron Jones. A.J. Dillon with two of the touchdowns. Aaron Jones actually having a receiving touchdown. Not really anything outstanding for the team. It'll be tough to see if they have any form of momentum as the uh, season comes to an end. But both teams, you know, getting sacked quite a bit and turnovers on both sides. Very, very interesting. The big thing with the MLB, in my opinion, is what's going to happen with uh, Carlos Correa since he signed a 12-year deal... Uh, with the Mets. I think it's like 350, not 50, 15 million with the Mets. Supposedly it was on like a physical that that he failed. So I don't know what you make of it. If, if they were concerned about the injury, then they should have been, I mean, were they concerned about the... Uh, about Aaron Judge and his injuries. The last two years, he's been pretty healthy. I know Correa's had some health issues in recent years as well. I'm just trying to think what happened. But, eh, let him ruin his career and with the Mets. It just seems like with some of these players that go to the Mets, you know, after doing well with someone else... They crumble. Not saying all the time, but it just seems as if most of the time they crumble. That's at least how I see it. So, yeah. Um, um, what else? I mean, Justin Turner going to Boston. I mean, get some leadership there. You know, a veteran that knows a thing or two about what it means to be part of a big team. I'm not sure he'll they'll get the same results like he did with the Dodgers, but veteran leadership, I mean, that's what it comes down to. You, you look at, you know, the NBA and MLB. The MLB NBA is going to have some big... Uh, Big Christmas games coming up. It'll be interesting to see how they compete with the NFL with some of their uh, games that Sunday. Yeah. And lastly, just talk some gaming just a tiny bit. Uh, The Federal Trade Commission is actually looking to sue Microsoft, I believe, for the acquisition of of Activision Blizzard. FTC... Microsoft Activision. Let's see. And there's actually gamers right now suing to, to block the merger after the lawsuit. So, start of, la- start of this year, announcing to acquire Activision Blizzard for 68 Point seven billion billion in cash. 
Now, Microsoft has been on a bit of a spending spree over the last couple of years, getting Bethesda and getting uh, now with the Activision Blizzard thing. So, Gamers Suit. Group of 10 gamers filed a private antitrust lawsuit in California Tuesday to stop Microsoft from buying Activision Blizzard. So, this is from Axios.com. I don't know what else is going on, but reducing competition in the gaming sector and by extension harmful harm within the public. The thing is, I mean, Bethesda, they don't really make games. I mean, they do, but they don't make them in such quantities, and a lot of their franchises are pretty niche. I mean, their big title, I think, coming up is what? A new Elder Scrolls, or updates to the Elder Scrolls Online... They have done Wolfenstein over the last eight years. They've put out some Doom titles in the last six. Evil Within within the last eight years. Uh, Dishonored over the last ten. It, it, their, their Rage 2 a few years ago. So their lineup is not huge. But I don't think it makes that big of an impact. At least not to the level of what I think gamers think. Activision, they've been around since 79 when they formed out of people from Atari and wanting credit for their games. They were one of the big companies in the early 80s. They made a ton of games for the 2600, the 5200 not sure if they made anything for ColecoVision or Intellivision, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was at least a couple from them on there. Came back into fruition in the late 80s, early 90s. Some games for the NES, putting getting back into production a little bit with the Super NES and Genesis. Sega, Saturn, and PlayStation, especially PlayStation. And being a big part of the industry again in the early 2000s. I mean, making stuff such as, you know, Tony Hawk, especially with that remaster, the Call of Duty games, many, many franchises, and that includes, like, Crash Bandicoot and Spyro, which have gotten quite a bit of interest. Crash Bandicoot getting a new game in 2023, a multiplayer-type game. Like, there's so much to Activision. There's a lot more to Activision. There's the Blizzard stuff as well with was like uh, Diablo, World of Warcraft, but there's also the controversy surrounding them, including like sexual harassment, someone taking their own life. But the problem is, ten gamers in this lawsuit, based in California, Jersey, and Mexico, well, New Jersey and New Mexico. Uh, gaming platforms of choice. Most don't use an Xbox. Several only play on PlayStation. I'm not sure it's going. I'm not sure they're going to win their lawsuit. Intense scrutiny from regulators in the U.S., U.K., and Europe. It, the the biggest thing I think it's just I feel like the biggest thing is Call of Duty. I don't think. I mean. Losing Crash would be kind of a big deal. Losing Tony Hawk would be kind of a big deal. I mean, I don't think Microsoft is entirely in the wrong saying Sony would still be able to compete. As there are some good stuff for PlayStation that people like. There's some good stuff. But when you're going into buying a console, it doesn't matter if it was an NES from the mid to late 80s or Sega Genesis, PlayStation, you know, any system that has a pretty good run altogether. You're buying for more than just the first party games. You want 
other titles that might pique your interest. So, for example, let's say I want to play an Xbox 360. I like Forza. I mean, just hypothetically. I like Forza, but I also want to play some of the stuff that might run smoother, like a Fallout. Or PS3. Let's say I want to play Uncharted, but I also want to play something like an L.A. Noir. You know, third parties are still a big deal. Exclusives are still important, too, but having third party is still a huge deal. Especially with it being a company as big as Activision Blizzard. I I'm not sure if the deal will fall out. I think I think the deal will still go through, but there might be some stuff that you might not see at some point on PlayStation compared to Xbox. At least that's how I see it. Uh, regardless, uh, it's just interesting to see because I don't think we necessarily need monopolies, but it just uh, and I don't know if it will fix the image of Activision Blizzard and all this other stuff. But we'll have to see what happens and what projects are still going to be out there for Xbox Series and PlayStation 5. I think Microsoft is keen on letting Nintendo have a couple stuff for the Switch. You know, I see some stuff online of people wondering on the potential Switch successor. Because I know there's a new Zelda coming out in May, the follow-up to Breath of the Wild. I know that. But is this going to be one of those titles that you might see on a new Nintendo system in a year or two? I think I think we're close to seeing a new Nintendo system. But what kind of gimmick is it going to use and what titles will be on there? And will it have that same wow factor that the Switch had when it first came out? Actually, another thing just thinking of with systems, there's going to be a new VR thing for PlayStation when the PS5, with the PS5, PSVR 2, I think it costs quite a bit of money. And that's why there's a discount for uh, the PSVR for PS4. That's at, I think, $200 if you can find one. I've actually seen a PS4 Pro in a Walmart, and it kind of surprised me because I knew they were still making systems, somewhat, Sony, for the PS4, but I didn't think they'd be still making some this late. I forget the production run would have been finished by now. But there's still people that want to play PS4. I mean, there's still a good amount of support and still some first party going on for the for the system. You know, good support is, I mean, you can't, can't forget about your old fan base until you feel like there's not enough to justify. That's one thing I like about some of these system supports. Yeah. It's just hard to justify what games to pick now these days. But definitely, definitely interested in a PS5 or an Xbox series. More so PS5, but I want to see when there's price cuts. Because I would love to play some of the titles. Microsoft Flight Simulator is one I want to play for Xbox Series. And uh, stuff like Ratchet & Clank, you know, it makes me want to get a PS5. It's more of those dilemmas when you're a gamer and you don't know which one to pick. Hard to pick. But I'll think of something. It, it'll it'll probably be sometime within the summer that I'll get a new system. I definitely want one before GTA 6 comes out, whenever it does. But yeah, so I'll end it here. As I said before, this podcast is on Anchor.fm. You can also find us on Spotify, Radio Public, and Google Podcasts. 
Sweat on down to those places. Search for Geeks and Jocks. Plenty of content awaits. So with that, that is episode 134. This is Ryan Sullivan. Hope to hear your listeners on the next podcast. Stay safe, stay protected, take care of yourself, take care of everyone, and happy holidays.